Hello there and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I'm Vlad and I'm here at LabBitConf with three brilliant Bitcoin developers who are working on very unorthodox scaling solutions for Bitcoin. They're looking at zero-knowledge proofs to do possibly roll-ups. They're looking at the BitVM thing, which almost everyone seems to be talking about, but these are three of the guys who actually understand what that's about and have read the paper, I think. I think you did. And to, to my left is John Light. He did a presentation today on stage at LabBitConf about zero-knowledge proofs and how they can be applied to Bitcoin. This is Super Testnet. He Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. He built some very cool tools that you can find on GitHub. And that is Alexei, and he is an academic, and he did something very cool with impossibility provability or something. It's amazing. He should tell you about it. What's an impossibility proof and why did you make one? Well, we tried to build Bitcoin bridges and we realized halfway through the process that you can't do them without being without trusting someone. And we proved that it's impossible by reducing it or by showing that it's a very similar problem to some very, very old problems in computer science. So by showing that it's the same, you can prove that it's impossible. And I'm a recovering academic, so I have left academia because it's too theoretical. But also you can do it with something called synchronicity, which you're going to learn about later. Okay, guys, I think we've just lost half of the audience with this mention of synchronicity. That's an album by the police, right? I think, I, I think the word he meant was synchrony, but <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's keep it spicy. I'm going to ask you guys, what's the next SAP for, for Bitcoin? Well, is this a prediction or what I actually want? Uh, if it's a prediction, it's really anybody's guess at this point. I mean, CTV has ostensibly been ready for a couple of years now. Uh, we have the pull request open for BIP 300. Uh, any, any, is it? Is it APO? All right. Uh, APO is apparently uh, yeah ready to go. Now we have Opcat thrown in, you know into the mix. So <laughs> yeah, um, it's tough to say, but I it seems to be looking pretty good for CTV these days. If I just had to like you know go it off of it based on vibes. I don't know what the next Bitcoin soft fork is going to be, but if I could vote, which which I don't get to because I'm not a core developer, but if I was, I would vote for CTV. That would be the one that I want because I know how to build a bunch of cool stuff with it, and I want to do those things. I mean, I also don't know what it's going to be. I think it probably have to be something that makes the Latin community happy and ideally people who want to build sidechains. Looking at progress, probably op CTV, but I hope maybe we can get more stuff in, but it's unlikely. Okay, so to the people listening who are not technical, why should they care about OpCTV? Why should they care about drive chains? Why should they care about any proposal that exists out there? As the last time they agreed with something, we got ordinals and they seem to hate it. Well, I, I think it's, I will first start by saying, while I'm generally a proponent of continuing to improve Bitcoin, including through soft forks um, i think it's completely uh 
reasonable, rational, and even good uh, to be skeptical of any cha uh, proposed changes to Bitcoin. Um, the inscriptions phenomenon was, I think, a surprise to everybody, uh, including the original uh, developers and, and reviewers of, of Taproot. So, you know, having those kinds of surprises uh, appear um, and then the surprises, you know, being being negatively uh, received by the community is a, a risk that we want to try to minimize uh, as we go through the soft fork process. Um, with with all of that having been said, I think CTV um, has a number of different use cases that Jeremy Rubin, the original author, um, described on his website utxos.org. One of the most prominent um, use cases for it is um, vaults, which improve the security of self-custody schemes by making it so that, like, if your private keys are compromised and somebody tries to steal your Bitcoin. Um, it'll take some amount of time for your coins to actually be transferred to the hacker's address. And during that time, you can um, activate like a, a recovery path, uh, which will send your Bitcoins to like a much, like a different, perhaps much more secure uh, setup. So for example, like you could keep your Bitcoins in even just a single SIG address normally, uh, or maybe like a two of three or something like that. And then if for some reason, you know, enough keys are compromised that your coins actually get stolen, you can sweep your funds into like a three of five or some like more complex uh, secure setup. So I think vaults are a good use case. Another use case is like ARC, um, which, which uh, Barack uh, came up with earlier this year. Um, and CTV for congestion control, I think, also uh, will come in handy during periods of high congestion. Um, so, yeah, I think I think CTV has a number of different use cases that could help with security and scaling, and 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 those are things that we're going to need as Bitcoin gets more adoption. I'll let uh, I'll let these guys take the question uh, for the soft forks that they're interested in. I'll bet you didn't want four megabyte blocks when you activated SegWit, plebs. But you're out there, and I bet you were like, we're, we want to activate SegWit because we've got the Lightning Network. That was the intended result, right? We wanted Lightning Network. The unintended consequence was now we occasionally have, well, not even occasionally, like every day we get like a 3.8 megabyte block now, and that's because SegWit also increased the block size. Things, ha things that are good sometimes have unintended consequences. We knew that. It's not... Well, some people did, but plebs didn't want four megabyte blocks. We were told we would never see four megabyte blocks. But we, yet here we are, and we see them now. Things have unintended consequences. But if the, if the things you can foresee outweigh the things you can foresee going bad, I think it's a good decision. And that's where I think we're at with CTV. There, there would be some unintended consequences. There would be some drawbacks. But I think the benefits outweigh the drawbacks, because there's so much good, cool stuff that he went into that we can build with it. And let's do it. Let's go for it. And we'll deal with the unintended consequences as they come. So I don't think there's much to add, but bringing in like the more like adoption perspective, people in Argentina, for example, they use Tron on use, uh, use the T on Tron, right? Because Bitcoin cannot serve many use cases. While we shouldn't, you know, just add things to Bitcoin blindly, I think the the current kind of proposals have been reviewed for a while. And in the end, if we want Bitcoin to get adoption, we do need to 
at least you know advance even if it's slowly because otherwise people will just continue using other solutions that are more centralized and we know that lightning is not where it should be or we could be and there's other proposals that really propose very innovative things that might help get us to mass adoption and might help unlock new features and use cases um, and make it easier for people to actually use Bitcoin. But for that, we need to kind of listen to, to the community and also understand what we actually need. And we do need to make changes. I, I don't believe in philosophication in all fairness. I think it's risky. And there's enough examples in practice, like, like in business, like IBM and others who failed to adapt and basically lost in the race and people started using other things like i don't think it's gonna happen to bitcoin but you know it's a dangerous path of ignoring completely like the things of people are, like things like adoption or more people actually care about outside of the core technical community wasabi wallet is unfairly private it's the most advanced most used bitcoin privacy wallet with a half a million downloads across windows mac os and linux as well as thousands of fresh and new bitcoins get mixed every month Wasabi makes use of the new generation Wabisabi engineer to create mega coin joints, thus mixing your bitcoins with those of hundreds of other users. For amounts lower than 0.01 BTC and remixes, you pay no coordination fee. If you don't use your coin joints, Wasabi Wallet has a native Tor integration and downloads block filters to help you keep your network level and public key privacy. Downloads Wasabi Wallet for free today at wasabiwallet.io and experience the future of Bitcoin privacy. Coincidentally, that was going to be my next question about ossification, and you already gave the answer. But before I ask the two of you about ossification, I gotta thank CryptoSteel and Wasabi Wallet for paying for my plane ticket to get here, because without them, I wouldn't be doing this interview. So check out Wasabi Wallet, download their wallet, and if you want to save your seed phrase or private key or whatever, Noster private key on Metal, go to CryptoSteel.com and use promo code BTCTKVR for 10% off. Now, ossification, John, or super testnet. On your endorsements, I would like to doubly endorse Wasabi. Wasabi, thank you for making transactions private and for making my Bitcoin hard to detect where it is on chain, whether it's mine, how much it is, all that stuff. Wasabi's great. Thank you. Ossification. So, I I think that ossification will eventually be an emergent property of the network i think it's it's definitely a strong possibility or likelihood that um one day the network would just be so big so decentralized with you know so many people running infrastructure around the world that it would just be uh, logistically infeasible to coordinate so many people to upgrade uh and their software to like adopt even just a new soft fork. Um, so I, I do think that that is, a, is, is an eventuality that's likely to happen, but we're not there yet. We see that soft forks are still possible. It just, you know, we just had Taproot a couple of years ago and the ecosystem hasn't you know, grown to a, a significant uh, size larger since then. Uh, in terms of just you know the the difficulty of coordinating soft forks, so I do think that soft forks are still logistically possible, and and while we have this 
opportunity, this window of opportunity to continue doing softworks. I think we should because Bitcoin needs these to have these continued uh, improvements to enable scalability, privacy, better uh, programmability for uh, better self-custody solutions um, and the other kinds of uh, things that people are working on for enhancing lightning and other layer two uh, protocols. So um, uh, I, I'm not in favor of you know premature ossification as, as I like to call it. Um, uh, I think we, we need to continue improving Bitcoin for really as long as we can uh, and, and that Ossification will, you know, it'll eventually happen, and 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 we'll know it happens when, you know, the developer community and and the activists who are you know on Twitter and and other social media, you know, w want a soft fork, but for some reason we just can't get enough you know miners or nodes or whatever to adopt it, and and we'll realize, oh, maybe we we we've gotten that big, like it's we're here. This is ossification but I don't think we're here yet. So let's continue uh, to improve Bitcoin. Down with ossification. Ossification sucks. It means you can't improve Bitcoin anymore. I don't want to ossify until Bitcoin can't be improved anymore. As long as it can be, as long as it's not perfect money yet, uh, there are still things we can fix in it, and I want to keep doing those. Ossification makes that really difficult. In fact, it makes it impossible. That's what it, that's what it means. Instead of ossification, I want fossification, free and open source software, right? Free and open source software that makes Bitcoin better. I'll run it and I'll try to tell everyone else to run it too. Because if it's good, I want to run good stuff. So don't do ossification where you can't change Bitcoin anymore. Do fossification where you write the good software and other people who like it run it. That's, that's, what, I, that's what I want. Well, I already said my part, but yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there's also a lot to be said about the fact that Bitcoin was launched 15 years ago and it used cryptographic libraries that are not necessarily obsolete but have been largely improved. But there's only so much you can change in Bitcoin and you have to work around limitations. I think this is the beauty of it, right? Because once you implement something, it has to be super elegant, but at the same time, it has to solve a real problem to which the community agrees. So... Yeah, anyway, there's this BitVM thing that emerged about a month ago and people started talking about it in the beginning. It was received as this shitcoinery idea, like why would you try to, you know, call it something like EVM and put it, put Bitcoin in it and be like BitVM. But at the same time, I spoke with people like Sergio Lerner and he was super excited about the fact that with BitVM, he can basically do stuff that was enabled by, by a soft fork with drive chains. And there's a lot of stuff that can be done without anyone's permission because BitVM was enabled without anyone's permission, without a soft fork, it, was, it just emerged and people are trying to find ways to use it right now. But can you guys explain what it is and why it's such a big deal? First of all, the name sucks. I didn't want to call it BitVM, but I wasn't in charge of it. Robin was. I wanted to call it Tapleaf Circuits because you're putting a logical circuit in a tapleaf or in a bunch of tapleafs. So that's what I called my implementation of it was Tapleaf Circuits. I did name Tree++, which was it's, it's the programming language Robin's trying to build that compiles down to BitVM. 
and that was because he was trying to come up with the name and I thought C++ is already a popular language we could just make tree plus plus because we use tap trees anyway Clever. So I was I like that one yeah good sometimes I name things um, I think that's about it <laughs> do you really need to know what bitvm is now you know how it was named <laughs> no um, bitvm is a virtual computer that you can run uh, on your regular computer kind of like um, kind of like uh, you can run like a Windows in a Linux device on a virtual machine, or you can run Mac on a, in a virtual machine on a Windows computer. With this thing, you can run any program with BitVM, and it'll be it'll be run in a way that Bitcoin can understand. And so you can use it, you can use co computer programs as the locking mechanism for some Bitcoins. You can put some Bitcoins in a Bitcoin address, create a program that can that that uh, Bitcoin address can understand. And then you can say you you only get these Bitcoins if the program says you do. And if the program doesn't say you get them, you, you can't spend them, or someone else can spend them. Uh, so that's what BitVM does at a high level, and it involves uh, it has some limitations, but uh, but I guess we'll get into those when when we're asked about them. So, yeah. So that was a kind of abstract explanation. It was a good explanation, but a somewhat abstract explanation. What would be an example of a program that you would use to lock your coins in, in and and unlock your coins in in BitVM? Well, you you know the answer to that one. You go ahead and say. I do, I do, but I want to hear what kind of applications you're you're interested in. Uh, I want to put a Game Boy on the thing. I want to make it so that you have to find Pikachu in order to get your bitcoins out and prove you found Pikachu uh, in order to do that. Or uh, chess. You could make a game. You could make a game of chess. Put put ten bitcoins in there, and whoever kills the king first gets to take them. And if you're not the person who got to do it, you don't get the money. Uh, I'd like to do... There's an airplane. Just a minute. Jet planes flying. Okay, now we're good. Uh, I would like to put a whole copy of Liquid on this thing. Like the whole Liquid blockchain that you can do all sorts of cool stuff. They got Opcat in there. They got Check Sigfim stack in there. They got like Check Contract Verify and all that stuff. I would like to put an entire copy of Liquid running on BitVM and launch like simplicity on Bitcoin before they even launch it over on their blockchain. That'd be awesome. So that's what I want to do with it. What do you want to do with it? I mean, coming again from wearing the bridge hat and you know trying to add more features to Bitcoin, um, I think BitVM would be interesting in, uh, to, to see if we can actually encode like clients into it or figure out a way if it could be possible. But maybe like clients for other systems and side chains might be really tough not to crack. To crack. But using it, the advanced scripting functionality to do better atomic swaps or application-specific bridges, for, for example, allowing you to lock Bitcoin and do something on the sidechain, um, but preserving some, some security and not just trusting the bridge fully, I think that could be very interesting. Um, yeah, that's, that's basically my pers personal interest. So how can we use that to make bridges more secure and um, how far can we go until it becomes infeasible in terms of programmability and, and the, the storage costs? CryptoSteel offers a durable, physical backup for cryptocurrency key and recovery words. These user-friendly cold storage devices withstand harsh conditions, including fires, floods, and earthquakes. Made from the finest European stainless steel, they are built to last. Accessible to all and requiring no computer skills, the original CryptoSteel cassette and capsule have been innovating Bitcoin security since 2013. 
They provide a reliable and robust backup, essential for the safety and longevity of your digital investments. Ideal for protecting your digital wealth. CryptoSteel isn't just a one-trick pony. Of course, it works with your Beep39 seed phrase, but you can also use it for important passwords, Bitcoin core passphrases, Nostr private keys, and much more. Buy your CryptoSteel metal backup today from CryptoSteel.com and use promo code BTCTKVR to get a 10% discount. CryptoSteel, secure your Bitcoin like an OG. Yeah, so I think I think uh, applications like you were talking about, basically gaming, I think are really interesting. Um, one application uh, I would you know, piggyback off what Alexei was saying, which is uh, bridges. So if we could figure out a way to make uh, secure, uh, trust-minimized uh, bridges uh, using BitVM uh, so that you could, you know, tr basically transfer your BTC to another blockchain that has, you know, different capabilities than the main Bitcoin blockchain, then we could experiment with new opcodes or new programming languages, new features, on these other blockchains um, with a better security model than what we're able to have with like the federations and and centralized custodians that users have to trust uh, today when they're when they're using bridges um, so um, one of the research directions that that uh, is being explored is like can you uh, kind of decentralize or federate uh, the prover in the BitVM model, um, such that uh, you only only one honest party out of say ten or fifty or a hundred um, people in this federation is actually required to be uh, online, honest, cooperative, uh, in order for the bridge to function securely. So rather than having like M of N. Uh, like an honest majority assumption, you could have a, an honest single party uh, assumption, which would be, I think, a huge uh, security improvement uh, for for bridges. Um, and and that alone could, I think, unlock a whole lot of cool stuff that you could do uh, with your Bitcoin. So um, that's that's one uh, use case that I think is really interesting. Of all the existing scaling solutions for Bitcoin, which one is your favorite? And if there's anything that you want to emerge in the future based on existing research, what is it? Yeah, good question. Um, so I'm somewhat of a pluralist in that I like to see many of the many of the options uh, running simultaneously um, one just so we can see like competitively uh, which ones are the best for different use cases but also I think just having the different options available is good for users uh, because each different scaling solution tends to have its own trade-offs and so you know whether it's security or privacy or usability um, like, for example, Lightning is really great for fast, cheap uh, payments, but, you know, you, you have to, like, manage your channel liquidity. You need to have, like, inbound liquidity in order to receive payments. It, your node needs to be online. So they're, like, it has different requirements that maybe some users just don't like or, or, or you know, can't. It doesn't work for them given their, their, their setup. Um, and so... In that case, maybe something like a state chain or a side chain would be better for that particular user. 
Um, and so, you know, personally, like I, I, I think Lightning is, is pretty great. I think the privacy could be improved. So um, there's a research out there called ZK PCN. PCN is like a payment channel network, um, which is a, a way to add uh, zero knowledge uh, privacy to payment channel networks like Lightning. Um, I think it would be pretty cool to see an implementation of that. Um, I'm also interested in seeing uh, implementations of um, like Validia chains, which are blockchains that are fully secured by Bitcoin uh, in terms of their double spend security. So it's, it's just as difficult to double spend somebody on a Validia chain as it is to double spend on, on Bitcoin. Um, but uh, you, the, the actual data of the chain is held off-chain by some third-party uh, data custodian or maybe like a federation. So the actual security of the coins on the, the chain are, uh, relies on the a majority of these um, you know, uh, data custodians to actually keep your data safe. Um, but you can have... Uh, a, a, a model there where there's you know virtually unlimited kind of transaction capacity you can add new privacy features like shielded transactions like zcash style shielded transactions um, so you can have you know many many transactions very high throughput with very high degree of privacy um, uh, with you know double spend resistance uh, that's equivalent to Bitcoin. Robin Linus uh, from the ZeroSync project, he has a cool protocol called ZK Coins, um, which could potentially uh, improve uh, throughput uh, by approximately 15x compared to normal Bitcoin transactions. And they're very private. Um, they can be like just as private as like a Zcash shielded transaction. I think that's a very uh, interesting protocol. But in order to use Bitcoin with it, we would need to have a soft fork to add uh, zero knowledge proof uh, verification on Bitcoin layer one. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's been a lot of uh, proposals, but those are the ones that kind of stand out to me as like, like I, I would probably use that myself, basically. I want join pools. Join pools are awesome. They take what we do in Lightning, but they do it with more people. In Lightning, two people share custody of a Bitcoin address and any coins that go inside of it. And those two people have to agree on all transactions that happen in there. And they do that with the Lightning Channel state updates, and it's awesome, and everyone loves Lightning, except for the people who try to develop it, because it sucks. But what Join Pools does, Join Pool does, is it takes that model, but it increases the number of people. So instead of having two people control a Bitcoin address, you have like 30. And then all 30 of them have to agree on all the state updates. That part would suck even 30 times worse than Lightning, or 15 times worse than Lightning. But you could have 15 times the scaling with it. So, and that's something we can do today. You can already make join pools, and you can make them even better with uh, CTV. So do CTV, and then we can have better join pools. Although we should probably make a join pool first, and then we can show how much better it would be. But I would like join pools. That's my favorite. So... I think my, so the thing is, I mean, I always tend to think from application perspective. So what applications do we want to have? And then like working backwards. So it's not a specific opcode, right? If it achieves that specific application, then it's fine, ideally without massive trade-offs. Um, however, like it's not necessarily a scaling solution, but covenants really are super interesting because they do enable 
um, applications and, for example, better custody, which might not be a scaling solution, but on the other hand, it's very important for mass adoption. Um, in terms of scaling, uh, personally very interested in ways that we can bridge Bitcoin to sidechains in a more trustless way. Um, realistically, we're not going to get smart contract functionality onto Bitcoin. And Watch out. Well, 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 okay, fair enough. So we might get it, but the thing is, um, it probably won't be, at least in the near future, as widely adopted and usable as some other systems out there. And right now, people in some countries and regions of the world are in need of such products. Um, and ideally, we could run them with Bitcoin in parallel to it, but inheriting some security and with the ability to move Bitcoin to these systems and back without trusting centralized providers. Because honestly, there is a market for it. $12.5 billion worth of BDC has been moved to other chains. That's a lot. But it's all centralized. And if we could have ways that allows us to build these bridges in a more trustless way, ideally completely trustless, that would be great. Which one it will be, I don't know. Whether it's drive chains and mine enforced, whether long-term at some point ZK rollups where it's node in, like in full, enforced by all full nodes and they just verify some opcodes and simple operation. Or maybe we can find better ways with BitVM or something in the middle. Um, that'd be great. Personal perspective, I guess it will have to be something that satisfies not only sidechains but enables other use cases as well. Um, because realistically, we have not yet proven mass adoption of sidechains. And I guess it will be a pro slow process to get there. But it's a chicken and egg problem. We can't really get mass adoption of Bitcoin sidechains easily without having trustless bridges. But I fully understand that people are careful about introducing opcodes that en enable sidechains without having seen the requirement, uh, the demand for it first. But yeah, that's kind of my, my take on this. Hello, Bitcoin Takeover listeners. This is Victor from IVPN. We could have produced the flash yard with lofty claims, but we like the straightforward approach, so I'll just uh, stick to the basics here. How are we different from other VPN providers? IVPN is run by Bitcoiners. We've been accepting Bitcoin since before the block size wars, now using BTC Pay Server and also accept Lightning payments. We also aim for radical transparency supported by open source software, regular audits, and a transparent team. And finally, there's absolutely no KYC with IVPN. We don't ask for an email or any other personal information when you sign up. If you would like to test our service, send an email to trial at ivpn.net to receive a 30-day IVPN Pro voucher. Hello, I'm Vlad, and I have been a user of IVPN Pro for longer than one year. What I like the most about it is being able to use seven devices at the same time and using the multi-hop feature to connect to two different servers of my choosing at the same time. Also, your account consists of a randomly generated string of letters and numbers which are not linked to your email address, bank account or real life identity. You top it up with a lightning payment and you get instant confirmation at low fees. Definitely get your 30-day IVPN Pro trial by sending an email to trial at ivpn.net. Make sure you use a burner email address that you probably already have for trolling. So two of you have mentioned ZK as in zero knowledge. And if you did that on some other podcasts, you would get kicked out and get called out for being shitcoiners. Because that was first built on Zcash. I mean, of course, zero knowledge proofs are even found in Bruce Schreier's book on applied cryptography. 
they're they're a pretty old concept but there wasn't much much research into it and much of the research that happened was actually funded by zcash and ethereum and now they're finding their way in bitcoin for some reason so could you please explain what zero knowledge proofs are and why they're such a big deal and why bitcoin needs them at all i'll give it a shot so a uh, zero knowledge proof I'll talk about the zero knowledge proof system. So like a zero knowledge proof system is basically you have a prover and a verifier. And the prover is going to run some program and then uh, run the output of that through a proving software, which will generate a cryptographic zero knowledge proof, which is just like a little string of data it could be maybe like a few kilobytes in size. Um, and then they can give this cryptographic proof to the verifier, who will then run this proof through their verifier software. And they will be convinced that the prover actually ran the program and that the output uh, is a correct output of the program. So a concrete example of how you would use this in a cryptocurrency and the first example that was ever implemented in a cryptocurrency is in a privacy context. So like uh, Zcash uses ZK snarks is the type of zero knowledge proof that they uh, have implemented. And they use a ZK snark to basically encrypt, uh, to be able to encrypt or end to end encrypt the transactions uh, in their blockchain so that the important details of the transaction, like the sender address, the recipient address, the amount, uh, are all encrypted and hidden from public view. And then they include this zero knowledge proof with the transaction that proves to the public network that this transaction is actually valid according to the consensus rules of the blockchain. So even though the important details are hidden and you can't just look at the transaction and then audit the chain and say, yeah, these coins haven't been spent before and yeah, this person has the private key to this address and we check the signature. No, you don't do all of that. You just take the uh, zero knowledge proof, you run it through your verifier software and it'll tell you if the transaction is actually valid or not. And you know the privacy of the sender and recipient of the transaction is, is completely preserved. And we're also figuring out ways to use uh, this technology for scaling as well, um, because you can basically replace like signatures in a transaction uh, or signatures in a block uh, with a single zero knowledge proof that proves that all of those uh, transactions are valid, um, even without you know knowing the signatures. The 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 prover verified the signatures and then strips them all out and just attaches a zero knowledge proof that says hey all of these transactions are valid and then the full nodes in the network can be convinced uh and so you've saved all of that space in the blockchain which means you can fit more uh transactions into into a block um and and you know we we've seen that you could get like up to like 100x um throughput uh, compared to you know Bitcoin transactions today, if you kind of apply the the compression techniques that are possible 
uh, along with the zero knowledge proof. One of the things you said in there was that the first cryptocurrency to apply zero knowledge proofs was Zcash. Uh, he's wrong. This guy is wrong because I'll tell you what the first cryptocurrency to apply zero knowledge proofs was was Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin has signatures. It has two kinds of zero knowledge proofs. In fact, you've got ECDSA signatures and you've got Schnorr signatures. And both of those prove in zero knowledge that you possess knowledge of a private key without revealing any useful information about that private key. So actually, it was Bitcoin was the first one to implement zero knowledge proofs. And we're just getting started, buddy. We're going to do so many more, it'll knock your socks off. So many more proofs, not coins. Proof, proofs, not coins, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, just 21 million. <laughs> um, well, the question is like, okay, why is this relevant for Bitcoin? And like, privacy is one of these things. Um, and we mentioned compression of data or compression of like state. Um, and ZK rollups on Bitcoin have obviously received a lot of hype. There was a lot of discussion of, well, when will it be possible? Can we create side chains? And again, I come with a side chain con conversation, but can we create side chains around Bitcoin that don't require any kind of forks, um, or at least um, that we can basically um, validate on Bitcoin? So the idea would be here, well, can we create a side chain where we can generate a zero knowledge proof about the state that it's valid? So we exactly know that all the rules of the consensus protocol were complied with and then just submit it to Bitcoin and then have it verified there. Now, a lot of discussion has happened around that. The challenges here, obviously, and I do believe I'm a, probably on the more critical side of ZK rollups for Bitcoin, seeing the challenges as in we need to fork an opcode into Bitcoin, right? So that, okay, we talked about opcodes and soft forks in which we could have. So definitely something that could happen down the road. The question is which one? So as of now, we don't really know how to do a generic verifier. So it's not like we just plug in zero knowledge proofs and we can support arbitrary sidechains. No, we would have to actually decide of which opcodes we include for which sidechain. And you can imagine the debate around that. So hopefully in the future, we'll find a way to make it more generic and that you can have like a range of different sidechain protocols that can be applied, which would obviously be more useful and arguably increase the reasoning to support something like that so you don't have to do five new opcodes or five sidechains but you could do one and it would make a lot of people happy and a lot of people could use things um, use experiment on sidechains and still be kind of part of, of bitcoin security um, and the other challenge is that zk technology is still pretty early yes it has been adopted um, and it is being used a lot but if we think about bitcoin whatever we add must be must remain secure and stable and unchanged for at least another four years before we introduce the next soft fork and until, like, I'm not sure, and I don't think many people who work on zero knowledge technology would promise and guarantee that whatever we have right now will be robust and unchanged and won't need fixing within the next four years. And that is definitely a criteria that we should look out for. Because imagine we add it and then we need to change it in a year. That would be pretty annoying. Um, but long term, it's definitely a very high potential technology. We see it being adopted on other networks and it works. And, and I'm sure that over the next couple of years, five, whatever, let's see, um, it may find its way into Bitcoin um, or into protocols that work with Bitcoin at least. I, I just want to follow up uh, with something uh, Super said. So 
Um, my understanding is that uh, technically an ECDSA signature does not meet the like technical criteria for like a zero knowledge proof. Uh, I do think that snore signatures can uh, produce zero, uh, be considered zero knowledge, but not ECDSA signatures. And in terms of the first cryptocurrency to implement zero knowledge proofs, um, I think it actually goes to um, Zcoin which came out like a month before Zcash. Zcash was the first to implement ZK snarks. If I misspoke earlier and said that Zcash was the first to implement zero knowledge proofs, uh, that was my bad. Uh, but uh, yeah, Zcoin came out with the first zero knowledge proofs implementation using their zero coin implementation. And then Zcash launched like a month later and they came out with the first uh, implementation of ZK snarks in a blockchain. Can we talk about this a minute? I want to take a little bit. Why don't he? Are we gonna end up with Grossel coins saying that that was the first one to activate Segwit? <laughs> why well, do I don't know? What? Why doesn't ECDSA count? Uh, to me, to me, you're not revealing any useful information about the input to your transact to your uh, to to your function. So that's that's all that you need to count as a zero knowledge proof according to Super Testnet's dictionary. Well, well the. <clears throat> I gotta run, so I'll just hop on, and I guess we'll just cut this part out. No, I, I will not. Alexei, you can go. It's fine. All right. Thank you so much. Bye, Alexei. Bye, Alexei. Um, I will send you a Stack Exchange post that answers that question. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, follow up with that offline. Until then, I win. We can keep that. We can keep the interview going. That's fine. Great. It's a. For context, it's 10 p.m. People have been partying for two hours at the venue. We are sitting here with our backs against some highway. There was a disco bus that basically was waiting at the street lights while you, you, all, you were talking. And it's admirable that you were able to focus to finish your sentence while they were dancing and making noises. We're a bunch of nerds, but I very much enjoy this. So let me ask you another nerdy question, which concerns something that was initially built for Bitcoin. It made its way into Litecoin, and now nobody talks about it anymore. It's the Mimblewimble extension block. It was proposed by Andrew Polstra in 2015 or 2016. It was a big deal at the time, and then it was buried. I thought it was proposed by Lord Voldemort. <laughs> no, that's the Mimblewimble part, but the extension block being added into Bitcoin for the Mimblewimble, that was Andrew Polstra. Good clarification. Yeah. What, what was your question, though? Like, why does stuff like this never end up in conversations anymore? Is it obsolete? Is it... But here we are talking about it. Made it into at least one conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, well... At, at, in the wake of the like block size wars, so um, I think extension blocks were kind of frowned upon by core developers. Um, like somebody, somebody had proposed ex an extension block as a, as a one potential compromise solution to the um, block size debate because you could do it a block size increase as a soft fork instead of a hard fork. Um, but you know that specific solution was rejected. But in, in as part of that conversation, there was a there was a you know a, a broader conversation about you know our extension blocks, you know as a concept like 
good, desirable, something that we would ever do on Bitcoin. And the consensus seems to be like that, you know, core developers prefer, like, don't like that as a, as a solution for various reasons. Personally, um, I, I would be okay with a, with a well-designed extension block. I don't think the trust uh, model is really any different than SegWit already is uh, today. SegWit is kind of like an extension block. Um, so yeah, I, I'm fine with extension blocks. Mimblewimble, uh, you know, the protocol, it's a very interesting protocol. I think of it as a scalability protocol. It's often marketed as a privacy protocol. Um, but because you have to broadcast your transaction details, if uh, you know there's a node uh, on the network that's like well connected and able to gather all of these uh, transactions before they actually get confirmed into a block, then the privacy benefits of like the transaction cut through that they do um, uh, are basically eliminated. And and there was some research that you know you could actually. Like early on in in early implementations of Mimblewimble, that that you could uh, trace like most of the transactions if you had a well connected node. There have been you know improvements uh, proposed uh, since then to Mimblewimble to continue um, improving the privacy of the protocol. Um, but you know I think today uh, still even with that research, um, the state of the art is you know considered to be like. Zcash style, um, fully end-to-end -end encrypted, shielded transactions. Like that's kind of like the gold standard for cryptocurrency privacy, and I, and I don't see why you know why you would do anything else. But um, if for a particular use case, like the Mimblewimble or some of the uh, you know advanced you know Mimblewimble protocols that people have worked on um, is is better, like more power to you. But you know for for my own. Uh, you know, personal use, I, I prefer like shielded transactions. When you hear Mimblewimble, think flimsy thimble because it's completely unsupported and it doesn't hold much water. Um, for all the reasons he gave, <laughs> for all the reasons he gave, Mimblewimble staying out of Bitcoin, they can keep it over at Litecoin for all I'm concerned. SatoChip provides open source solutions based on SmartCard to assist you in your crypto journey. The hardware wallet lets you safely store your private keys within the tamper-proof chip memory, while Sato Dime allows you to create a barrier cold storage in two clicks thanks to its mobile app. And SeedKeeper is the ultimate hardware device to store and manage your seed phrases. Become self-custody with SatoChip. Your keys, your coins. Okay, fair. So it wasn't such a great proposal for privacy, and it's probably not the best one for scalability. But it was still interesting in its time. I remember when Jameson Lopp tweeted running Rin, and people still make fun of him to this day because of that. But I, I think this opens up the doors for an interesting conversation about the collision between the Astron economists who don't want anything in Bitcoin other than the 21 million cap and the cypherpunks who want Bitcoin to work as perfect money on the internet. The Austrians are also the ones who are perfectly fine with not spending any Bitcoin and having a huge stash of fiat that they use for daily expenses and only using Bitcoin in cold storage 
which is i mean i'm i'm not gonna get into that but they're not using bitcoin really they're only using it for that receiving transaction and then not touching it they're not paying for the security of the network they're on the short term or the midterm they're just freeloading on the security that others pay for and the block re reward is diminishing and it's basically the the inflation that's paying the miners right now so there's i started from the idea that there's a conflict between austrian economists who don't want any change oh nice i hope that's a supra the austrian economists and the cypherpunks and obviously you guys are are cypherpunks you're not for ossification but how do you deal with this idea that maybe if you're talking to jimmy song or Seifedine, they would roast you maybe not jimmy song but Seifedine definitely roast you because you're trying to bring very complex stuff that most people don't really understand esoteric into bitcoin for considerations that maybe only a thousand people around the world really understand and the rest of the network has to follow based on some, I guess, social recommendation or some sort of reputation system that this is being recommended by Greg Maxwell or Adam Back or whatever. So how do you reconcile, that's the question, with this conflict between Austrian economists and cypherpunks? Because Bitcoin, I think, is a pretty cypherpunk project. Well, I, I came to Bitcoin through my desire to find a better money than fiat um, to, to find you know free market money like I, I, I used to be you know a bit of a gold bug um, like I, 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 I looked in the marketplace and I was like what where are the alternative currencies what are the different options and like through looking and assessing you know all the different options I eventually came to, to gold. And I was, you know, using gold as like my alternative money for a while. Um, we'll let the plane go overhead. And then eventually I found Bitcoin, and I was like, wow, this, 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 uh, you know, it solves all of the shortcomings uh, with gold. You know, it's it's divisible down to very small fractions. I can send it over the internet without counterparty risk. Um, it's programmable, so I can, you know, do multi-sig and stuff like that. Like, it just, it, it made sense right, right away. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is the, the, the successor to, to gold as, like, the, the free market money that the world needs. Um, so I'm very, you know, I'm very much, like, on the same page as, you know, the, the Austrians or, or, you know, the kind of sound money uh, Bitcoiners out there. Um, and, and I look at... The things that we're talking about here, the improvements to Bitcoin, as you know, just just ways that we can take advantage of the fact that Bitcoin is software to continue improving it and making it better money, and and through making it better money, you know, making it more attractive to more people, um, like like Bitcoin privacy is very cumbersome. Privacy is important, right? Like we don't want to reveal our net worth to everybody that we you know pay something for right um and so so we don't all want to do that okay um so i'll say that like we don't all want to reveal our net worth to everybody that we send money to um and so 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 you know all of us that think this way you know need to have some good solution for privacy um
and and by good I mean like it's it's cost competitive it's easy to use like like there's not going to be foot guns where you accidentally one day because you combine inputs in a transaction you know end up revealing your net worth to somebody that you're paying like like currently you know there's just a lot of foot guns with like bitcoin privacy and so there's obviously uh you know room for improvement there and 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 the improvements that the best improvements that have been proposed require a soft fork um and so um, you know that that's just one example of like a way that we can improve Bitcoin, and while improving its 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 qualities as money, like fungibility is one of the you know key uh, properties of money, and and by improving Bitcoin privacy, we we can improve uh, its fungibility as well, um, and in and its user friendliness. Scalability is another thing. Like um, right now, you know, if if we want everybody to hold Bitcoin. Well, there's not enough block space. Uh, and so, you know, as as the number of people who want to adopt Bitcoin grows, are we going to give up Bitcoin's core feature of, uh, you know, trust minimization, self-custody, uh, no counterparty uh, qualities? I would prefer not to. And I think that we should try to do everything that we can to enable as many people as possible to truly self-custody their BTC um, so that, you know, it, it, it's actually Bitcoin and it's not an IOU for Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So and I, and I think that's totally consistent with uh, with with with, you know, the the, the sound money I ideals. So I read about Austrian economics and Austria uses the euro. So their economics is the same as the European Central Bank's policies. And I don't think you want that, Austrian economics people. Also, Ludwig von Mises, he was born in Austria, but you know where he lived? He was in America. So if you're going to go about like country of origin stuff, it's American economics that you're talking about. It just not followed by Austria at all. So there's my thoughts on... Austrian economics. Very learned on this subject. Salma Hayek too. Got big in America, yeah. I'm not sure where she was born, but it was the Tarantino movies that made her famous. Yeah, my laptop is gonna die soon. So let me ask you one final question and then we can wrap this up. So part of it is going to be about how people can follow you and where they can find your work. But let me also figure out something controversial to accompany it. Mm. Are ordinals uh, an attack on Bitcoin? You, you can do it yes, or no. Or something. Don't take too long. No. Run out of <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find me on Noster by searching for Super Testnet, two words. You can find me on Twitter by searching Super underscore Testnet, so kind of two words, kind of one. And then you can find me on Telegram by searching for Super Testnet, one word. All different in all different places. I care about my privacy. Yeah, uh, you can find me on my website, uh, lightco.in, L-I-G-H-T-C-O dot I-N. That's like a domain hack for my social media handle, Litecoin. 
L-I-G-H-T-C-O-I-N on Twitter, X, whatever it's called these days. Uh, and I'm also on Keybase uh, at the same handle if you want to send me end-to-end -end encrypted messages. Thank you, guys. And I'm not sure about Alexei. For the people listening on Spotify, you're not going to know, but you had to leave halfway into the interview. I'm not sure how, how can you follow Alexei? You guys call him Bob. Alexei is also on uh, Twitter. Yeah, I don't have his handle memorized, but his name is Alexei Zemyatin, and you can find him by searching that in the search bar on that app or website. He would know a lot about Austrian economics. I shouldn't reveal this. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening, the five of you who are still here. And I hope you learned something new from this. <laughs>